All right, good morning. I hope your uh, seatbelt is fastened up tight and you're ready to take off on part number two of defining your why. Defining your why. I want to begin this morning with Matthew chapter 28. Defining your why, your purpose, your reason, your vision, what motivates you. Why, why, what is it that really cranks you up and uh, gives you a reason to get out of bed in the morning? I hope when you come to the Digital Cathedral on Sunday morning, uh, that you sense a kinship with all of those that gather from not only around America, but from around the world and hear the teaching that you hear. And we're making some connections together in different places, uh, different times. I, I, there's coming a time when I'm going to begin to make, some, I think, some regional travels in the United States and maybe do a little bit, little regional conferences when I find pockets of people that are part of the Digital Cathedral so that we can begin to, to develop a little uh, fellowship even on a, a deeper level. So we're talking about the why uh, of our existence or defining our why. And last week, we started with number one. I wanna, I wanna, we'll review that real quick and we'll get on to number two. Number two is it may be the biggest uh, reason why we exist as, at the Digital Cathedral. My motivation in this really is to make you feel a part of something that's bigger than you are. You know, most of us that are here, we don't go to church anymore. I, I, I honestly don't attend church on Sundays. I have a church that I guess I would say that's my church, the old church that I pastored for a lot of years. The people that assemble there, I feel uh, very kinship with. I love the pastor and his wife. They're wonderful people, but I don't really attend much. This is my church. You're my people. You're the congregation. Wednesday night, we expand it and take it out just a little bit further. So we have a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night. Maybe you didn't know that. Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Central Standard Time on my Facebook page, we gather again and it's live. So it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more intimate. It's very casual. So I'd invite you to come on over and be part of it. All right, so we're talking about the why, defining your why. Now Jesus said this. He said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, just a side thought. If Jesus has all authority, then what authority does the devil have? Whatever concept you have of the devil. It's that word again, all. All authority has been given to me, and he covers the base, heaven and in earth. So whether you're thinking heavens or earth, there's only one authority. And he's got it all. And I'll, I'll tell you, he's not giving it to anybody else that would be uh, an enemy to what he's trying to do. Now, he, he says, all authority has been given to me. Now, watch. He says in verse 19, go, therefore. What he's doing, he's making a, trans, he's making a transference of his authority. He's saying, I've, I've got all authority. Now, here you go. Now, I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples of all nations. That's the why. That's the why. That was the motivation. That was the vision. The purpose. To go and make disciples of all nations. Now how were, how were they going to do that? What were they going to do and how were they going to do it? I told you last week, every organization should be able to answer three questions. Every ministry, every business should be able to answer three questions. What do we do? How do we do it? And the big one is, why do we do it? And I started last week talking about 300,000 churches in America. 
We know what they do. They come together on Sunday morning. They sing. They hear a, a, a message, a sermon. They uh, uh, hear scripture verses. How they do what they do is vary. Some baptize every week. Some have hour-long worship services. There's, the hows are a lot different. But what you hardly ever know about an organization, church, or even a business is why do you do what you do? So Jesus gives them the why. This is what, what you are to do. The why is the vision. It's the purpose. It's the motivation. It's what drives you. So Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now here is the how and the what. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So the, the what and the how was to baptize uh, and teach. And they were to teach to observe everything that Jesus had taught them. Now, most of us begin with what we do, right? Most of us can answer the what. Most begin with the what. And what you do then all of a sudden determines how you do it. The how is based on the what. In other words, you're going to start a business. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sell ice cream. Well, how are you going to sell ice cream? Well, the how is we're going to sell it out of a store and we're going to uh, have little ice cream carts that guys push around the city and sell ice cream out of the carts. Okay, that's how you do. The question is, why are you doing this? If there isn't, if, it, if the why is just to make money, that's a product of the how and the what. There has to be something within you that moves you as to why you do what you do. And the why is often fuzzy. The why is often very fuzzy. You, you talk to most businessmen, they don't know why they're doing it. They just, they work at perfecting the how. We think if we can make the how better, it'll be a success. Really, the success isn't based on the how and the what. What keeps it fueled is the why. Now, Jesus had a very definite why. Let me give you... And he, he revealed it in a lot of different ways. Let, let me show you one. Man, John chapter 4 and verse 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. G, here's what Jesus said. Here was his why. He said, my food, you know, what, what really gets me, what, what gets me up in the morning, what keeps me going, what really strengthens me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, watch, and to finish his work. Now, how Jesus did that, what Jesus did and how he did it, all served the end purpose of finishing the work that he was sent to do. So what, what was it that really uh, propelled Jesus? It was to do the will of the one that sent him, first of all, and to finish it. What was it, what was it that, that was, was Paul's, Motivation. I read it to you last week in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, when, when he said, when it pleased God to reveal the Christ that is in me. He said, when he revealed him in me, I, I, got this, I got this passion, brother. I got this purpose, and that was to preach this Christ that is in me to let the Gentiles know that Christ is also in them. That's a, that's a fantastic purpose. Paul didn't say my purpose is to reveal Christ to them, nor did he say the Father revealed Christ to me. He said he revealed the Christ in me. Now that's what, 
That's what drives me, is to reveal to people the Christ that has always been in them, but most don't have a clue. Most have been told Christ is not in them. That's what they've been told. And they've been told they have to do something to get Jesus to hop into their life, to bail into them, to jump into their life. See, when God leads you to do something, listen to me carefully. When God leads you to do something, he will first unveil the why. That's what he did in Matthew chapter 28. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Here's the why. So that you can go make disciples. When God, when God puts something within you and it's a God-given purpose, the thing that always comes first is the why. He will, always dis, he will always disclose the why. And once that, that because he wants, that, he wants it to catch fire in your life, then he will begin to show you what to do and how to do it. When God leads you to do something, he first unveils the why, which should light your fire. It gives you the vision and then the what and the how will come up alongside and serve the why. Now, I, I've, I've, I, have a very I feel very strong about answering the why of why we come together. And I feel like if I, can't, if I don't have a why, then I need to just shut this thing down. I've got to have a why. What's our purpose? What's the message? Why, what, what do we want the world to hear? Because without a spirit-empowered driving force, we become just another Christian group. You know, they're all over the internet even. And basically, they're just there to satisfy the ego of the person to teach the Bible or to get you to hear a message. The Apostle Paul had a reason to get out of bed in the morning. He said in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, he said, the love of Christ compels me. Because he's taught me that if one died for all, then all died. What, what, what was this love of Christ that compelled Paul? It was to let people know that if Jesus died for one, he died for everybody. To let them know that Jesus has already died for them. Love compelled him to show man's co-death, man's co-burial, man's co-resurrection and ascension, the life that they had in Christ. Can you hear the passion in his words? The love of Christ compels me. That was the why of his message. It was his mandate. It was his authority to, to act. So I, I believe we have a reason to assemble together. And I covered the first one last week. And I, I hope this, if, if this is your vision, this, this is my vision. And I, I, I share my vision because I, when I share the vision, I'm sharing the why. And I believe that many people gather around the why much more than the how or the what. Now, what I'm doing is teaching on the Internet, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. How I do it Sunday morning is I'm in a, I'm in a setting. I teach from the Bible. I you know, have an outline. That, that's what I do and how I do it. But that's not really why I do it. I do it to meet these four main purposes that I want you to share. And if you and I share, if our, if our wives connect, I don't care what state you live in or what city you live in, we are, we are part of connecting dots around the planet that's beginning to add to this tsunami of grace and love and mercy that God is pouring out on the planet right now. You say, well, it, should, it doesn't look like it. Well, you're not looking in the right places. Because multitudes are awakening to the things of the Father. Multitudes are awakening spiritually. 
And yes, there, there's a lot going on in the natural realm, but that's not the realm we live in. That's not the realm we function in. We live in it, but we're not part of it. What we're, what we're part of is an ever-expanding kingdom that expands by revelation and, and our first purpose, which is to awaken those that are asleep to the truth. A lot of good people are still asleep. A lot of good Christians are still asleep to the gospel, to the truth. That was Paul's, one of Paul's whys. In Ephesians chapter 3, let me, read, let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Paul said this. He said, to me who am least of the... To me who is least than the least of the saints, this grace was given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's what he's doing and how he's doing it. Now here's the why. And to make all men see. All right? To awaken. To make all men awaken. To see. What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. So he said, my, my intent is to get everybody to see this mystery that's hidden. <clears throat> Let me say this. The mystery that was hidden, Paul saw part and revealed part, but I'm telling you today, the mystery is getting clearer. It's getting, it, the revealing of the mystery is getting sharper today. It's coming into more focus than even in the time of Paul. Paul broke it out. Paul, Paul was the uh, trailblazer. Paul got it rolling. But I'm telling you, in 2019, the vision is sharper today. The awakening is strong. The awakening now is among a, a planet that has 6 billion people. He's sharpening the vision. All right, let, let me read on. Ephesians chapter uh, 3. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities in heavenly places. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So when you come back to verse 9, his, his why was to make men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which was hidden for ages, but now is being revealed to the church, the gathering of people together. We're gathering together. And I'm telling you, there is, there is uh, an ability to see sharper when we come together. I've noticed that on Wednesday night, when, when it's a little bit more informal and we're actually, you know, we're live and we can interact, make comments, and we can talk to one another through our comments, that we feed off of one another and our eyes open up based on the gathering together and we see things that we never would have saw by ourselves. So let's awaken those that sleep. That's the first why. There, there are four main uh, whys, I think, that as the Digital Cathedral and Wednesday Night Live, why we exist. And you're part of it. You're part of it. If, if, our, if our whys connect, then God's connected us. All right, here's our second why. And this, this might be the biggest one because of, of all that tradition has done, all right? The second why is this. We've got to present a God who is a relational father, not a judicial deity. And I, I think I took that line out of Steve McVeigh's book, Beyond an Angry God. I think that's my, maybe is the subtitle. I can't remember, but it says it well. To present a God who is a relational father, not a judicial deity. That might be the biggest, that might be the biggest mission we have that might be the biggest adjust, adjustment is how 
we see God. And I, I say that might be the biggest because I know that our message is to present the father of all who absolutely is the judge of nobody. Now that comes as a shock to people when we talk about that God's not going to judge anybody. I, I know because that's what Jesus said. In John chapter 5, Jesus said this. John chapter 5 and verse 22. He said, for the father judges no one. Father judges nobody. All right. Now that's part of what we need to awaken people to. The people have this, especially Christians. And I'm telling you, there are tons and tons and millions of Christians that are still sleeping. They have a theology, they have a belief system, but they don't know the gospel. They haven't awakened yet to the truth. And so God has shown you the revelation of the mystery, which is Christ in you, that you can awaken other people to what you've already seen. The Father judges nobody, Jesus said, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Wow. That's huge. Now that puts, that puts God in an entirely different light. He's not a judge. He judges nobody. For some of you that maybe are watching this morning, just stumbled into that. That just, that just, wrecked, that just wrecked your belief system. Because you had visualized that you're going to stand before God one day and he's going to look at you. He's going to open up this gigantic book. He's going to read all the events of your life. Maybe show a video on a screen. Let the whole world see all of the thoughts you had. All of the misdeeds you did. No, wait, wait a minute. You've been hoodwinked. You're not awakened yet. You're still seeing God as a judicial deity and not a father that loves beyond measure, that does not judge. All right, so Jesus has all the judgment. What did he do with it? How does he do this? What did Jesus do with all the responsibility of judgment that was given to him by the Father? I'll tell you what he did. He took all of the judgment and he absorbed it into himself. He took the judgment of all mankind to the cross so that all could be declared not guilty and righteous. Oh yeah, that's what he did. He sucked all the, all the judgment into himself, took it to the cross, and died so that you could be declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We did an exchange. He took our sin, our judgment, and gave us his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be made sin with our sin, that we who knew no righteousness might be made righteous with his righteousness. Now that's an awakening. The Father's always seen you righteous. The Father's always seen you blameless. The Father's always seen you above reproach. But you didn't see you that way because you thought God was willing and ready at the drop of a hat to judge you, to condemn you. And that's not the way he works. So what our, our, our message is here at the Digital Cathedral, why we come together, is to show our world the Father of all. The Father of all. Remember Ephesians 4, 6, there's one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in all. To show that Father to the world. Presenting a, presenting a God, presenting a Father other than what Jesus presented is wrong, man. It's inaccurate. It creates fear. Jesus said, nobody's seen the Father but me. 
Moses didn't see him. Abraham didn't see him. David didn't see him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's nobody else in history up to that point that could make that claim that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You say, well, Pat, what do I do? Because I see this God in the Old Testament and it conflicts with what Jesus demonstrated. I'll tell you what to do. This is our second purpose, right? It's to present a God who's a relational father, not a judicial deity. Here's what you do. If what you read in the Old Testament conflicts with what Jesus showed you in the Gospels, you dismiss what you read in the Old. They saw in part. They knew in part. They were looking through a glass darkly. They saw things that were not correct. Jesus, hear me clear. Jesus came to clear up all the misconceptions of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament. He came to clear them up and to show us what the Father was really like. Everything that was wrong that had been spoken about God, Jesus came to clear it up. The total why for the incarnation, the total why of God coming in the flesh, the total uh, uh, why of Emmanuel, God with us, was a revealing of a father who was willing to share his life with us. Now we got to tell that to the man on the street because the man that sits in the prison cell doesn't know that. The guy behind the desk is not aware. We've got to let them know that God has breathed into them the breath of life and he has claimed them as his offspring. He is a father, not a judicial deity. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says that when God formed man, he stood him up. And he breathed into that man the breath, the spirit of life. He didn't judge him. He looked at him and said, that's very good. If he declared it very good at the beginning, it'll be very good at the end. Because he declares the end from the beginning. Oh man, some of you, some of you got to get that. That'll, that'll hit you about lunchtime. He declares the end from the beginning. So when he looked at you and breathed into your nostrils, Genesis 2, 7, the breath of life, and said, very good at the beginning, then the end will agree with the beginning. It has to be that way. So what's the problem? We're not revealing a father. We're still revealing, in most circles, a judicial deity. God never broke relationship with any man. There's a family circle, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you. The resurrected Jesus, the Father, and the raising humanity from death to realize and understand and come to an awakening of the position they have within him. I'll tell you that assures the family circle will never be broken. God never broke relationship with any man. We ran from God. Adam ran from God. All have run from God. Nobody has sought after God on their own. He has drawn us. I mean, where are you going to run from? I'm I'm the present Father. Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? You've never been out of God's presence. Here's what you've been out of. You've been out of a sense of his presence. Sometimes it's by our actions. We are religiously inclined to think that if our actions are not right, they're not pure, that God doesn't look at us. God's no longer with us. You can't be out of the the, the presence of an omnipresent father. What you've been out of is a sense of his presence. When you feel out of a sense of his presence, you know, stop. Just stop, shut it down. And just acknowledge that he's with you. 
Acknowledge His presence. Yeah, well, I don't feel it. I don't care what you friggin' feel. You acknowledge His presence because His presence is continually with you. Your sense of it, because maybe your thoughts or your actions has pushed Him away, but He's not pushable. He go nowhere. He's with you no matter what. Adam could run, but God tracked him down. Cain can run, but God tracked him down. Moses, Abraham, David, Paul, they all could run. You could run, but God tracked you down. It's the love of a father that set the value on us so high that he chose to come and die as us rather than have the possibility of losing even one child. So this awakening that we're coming through, the awakening that he is a father, not a judicial deity, is an ongoing process that allows your eyes to open more and more and more and more. And the gooder you see him, the gooder you will see him. You can't, out, you can't outgo the gooder. The gooder will keep getting gooder. That's just the way that it is. It produces a perpetual increasing joy in your, in your life as you discover the good news is better than what they told you at church, than what your theology presented or permitted or allowed. You know what happens, guys? Here's what, this is what happens. We confine ourselves to a particular theology or belief system, Right? And when you do that, you've just boxed your God into that theological structure. You know, you're an Armenian, you're a Calvinist, you're a universal, whatever it is. You've just boxed your God into that little structure, that theological paradigm that you have all figured out. Then life becomes dry, becomes spiritually dull, and you just keep running over the same stuff week after week. You go to church, you hear the same stuff week after week. You're just retracing the, the, the theology, the belief system that has been ingrained and been practiced for generations. If you're not having any aha moments regularly, then you're not experiencing a father that has jumped out of every theological box constructed to reveal himself to those that are coming out of a religious stupor. We are seeing a father come out of a religious stupor and unveil himself and make himself crystal clear to those that are looking for him. See, mystery is solved in, in stages. Ah, I see it. I got it. I think I finally comprehend it. Well, just when you get there, then you realize that the mystery now has just deepened. You see how good the Father is. You realize, man, He's not a judicial deity. He has come to reveal how much He loves me. And so you get that. When, as soon as you get to say, I see it, I got it, all of a sudden He drops you down another level. And you begin to see His love goes farther than that. Many of you are being pushed now to where you see that He loves every person on the planet equally, regardless of their behavior, their deeds, their actions, what they've done or what they've not done. Now, some of you, that love is still, that's still too deep. You're not there. You're just seeing that maybe he, he can love you if you're good. All right. He's, you, you get that. He's gonna, the mystery's going to deepen. See, theology hems you in. You spend all your time learning why you're right and everybody else is wrong. You live all your life defending your beliefs against all those Facebook heretics that have come on and said, God loves everybody. You're defending all you got with that. Awakening keeps the mystery going. 
Theology's cut and dried. It's black and white. See, we need, we need to learn to live in somewhat of a mystery. And for, you know, for those of us that are control freaks, I always like to keep everything, you know, I, I like to know where we're going, what we're doing, how it's going to happen. Mystery drives us crazy because you can't control mystery. You can't control the degrees of revelation that it comes in. The power of Paul's revelation of grace apart from any law or religious rule is the unwinding of a layer after layer of grace, unconditional love, mercy. So when you, when you get the revelation that God is a father, he's not a judicial deity, it starts to come in waves. It starts to come in levels. You, know, you start to see the things that were bestowed on you, your inheritance, what he's imputed to you apart from works performance. And all of a sudden you got to smile on your face all the time because you're just living every day with an unveiling of a mystery. And it's like you've been born again, again, and again. That's the excitement of awakening, especially when you awaken to how good a God is. So as you see by revelation through open eyes that God as a father is far better than that stale, antiquated, dry theology, belief system that your church hammered on for years, allowed you to believe in. Man, that's how that new wine rushes in and breaks that old wineskin. When the veil is removed, when the revelation comes, when the mystery is, is unpacked, all of a sudden, all that performance-based stuff is ripped off. All the works-based Christianity's ripped off. And I'll, I'll tell you this for sure. I guarantee that as you awaken, as you awaken, our, our first... Our first why is to awaken those that sleep. As you awaken, as you get others to awaken, as you see that we have a father that is not a judicial deity, I guarantee you, your belief system will shift. What you believe will change drastically. See, some of you are sitting and you're thinking, man, what he's saying is really resonating inside of me. I like it. It, it. it feels good. I'm drawn to it. But your programmed religious mind is fighting it. Your mind fights what the spirit sees. Part of the awakening is to flip you from mind-led to spirit-led. Part of embracing mystery is getting you to now be spirit-led and not five-sense-led. It's all part of the transformation process. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, getting into a swimming pool. When you get into a swimming pool, you put your toe in, it feels kind of cold. Then you, you kind of walk in up to your, 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 your knees and fi finally you just dive in. See, when you finally just dive into your awakening, you just give yourself into it. All of a sudden, it becomes over overwhelming. It becomes far better. You, you're no longer dependent on your senses or your theology or your belief system. This second reason of why we exist to do what we do, to reveal the Father, uh, to reveal God as the Father, not a judicial judge, it may be the toughest part of all the whys I'm going to give you, and they're four altogether. It might be the toughest because, you know what, we're working against generations of religious mixing of an Old Testament God with the revelation of Jesus of a father. And that's caused a lot of confusion. It confused me. I'm telling you, even as a pastor, it confused me. I didn't know how to, exp I didn't know how to balance the two. I would, I would read over the Old Testament about this God that said, go in and destroy the city, kill all the men, the women, the children, the animals. 
He, he was a, like a genocidal maniac. Then I come over to, to, to Jesus and say, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Humbled Jesus, loved everybody, healed everybody. Never killed anybody, never, never beat anybody with a, with a uh, pole or something, never stoned anybody. And I go, what is all of this? So what, what we have to do, we have to make up our mind as to who he is to us. Now, either he is a distant, far removed, uninterested God who demands of you on penalty of eternal conscious torment that you obey him, that you love him, that you're devoted to him, that you worship him, you sing songs to him, that you love him or else. Or, or is he a father who gives with no exception, with no expectation of return, his love to us, his care to us, his devotion to us, his one-way love to us, Either he is that judicial deity that puts demands on us or else, or he comes in as the father that Jesus revealed. He can't be both. You can't have him both ways. And that's what religion has done. Religion has used him as the stick and the carrot. I tell you, he's not the stick. He's not the stick. Jesus didn't come to change the father's mind about you. Because it never changed. It never changed since he stood you up, looked at you and said, very good, breathed into you the breath of his life. You got eternal life at that moment. Did you realize that? When he breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, what life could he breathe into you but eternal life? Do you think there's some force on the planet that could take that eternal life out of you? Every time you inhale, you're recognizing... His presence in my life. You don't draw a breath, but when he gives it to you, every time you draw a breath in, you're drawing his life in. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to adjust our thinking, our, our view, our lens through which we look at him, right? Jesus came and he, he, flipped, he flipped the script. He's no longer God, he's Father. Above everything, he's Father. From a, from, a, from a God wanting our sacrifice to a Father who's willing to die to show us the depth of his love and commitment to us, regardless of our commitment to him. You know what the Bible says? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's how good he is. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he moved the prayer from a God unconnected to them up yonder someplace Jesus taught him to pray. He moved the prayer to a father that was interested in every need, every emotion, totally interested in their well-being. Look at, look at how he taught him to pray. The whole prayer is about God's desire to meet their needs, not for the disciples to have to meet some need of the father. Never one time did Jesus ever reveal or teach a God who was angry, who was judgmental, who was looking to banish even the least of us to eternal conscious torment. As we awaken, number one, to spiritual truth, and number two, as we begin to get a revelation of the fatherhood of God, 
What you see will align you with the father that Jesus demonstrated and walked out publicly for all of us to see what he really was like and what, how he really behaved, what his character was all about. What brings a change of mind? What brings that metanoia, that repentance in the minds of people? I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's an awakening to the goodness of God. Scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. See, I always thought it was beating people over the head with their sin that would lead them to repentance. First of all, I didn't understand what repentance was. I thought repentance was crying and bawling and squalling and asking God to forgive you and doing it long enough and hard enough till he finally took sympathy and pity and forgave me. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is simply changing direction, changing your mind, seeing things differently, coming from a different place. What brings that into people? It's the goodness of God. It's not God's harshness, his threats. It's his goodness. Let's begin to declare the Father's belief in us. Let's begin to, let's begin to uh, proclaim the Father's confession and his faith and his commitment to man instead of what man must believe and what man must confess and the faith man must have and the commitment he must make to God. What's going to change the minds of people is beginning to see us like God sees us, making confession and belief and love over us, not what we must love, believe, and confess over Him. Missing element to revival around the planet is, is God's grace to man, not man's performance to the Father. So why are we here? Why are we here? Number one, to awaken men to the Christ within to unveil to them who they've always been, what they've always possessed, but we're ignorant to it. That's what we do at the Digital Cathedral. And the second thing that you'll notice we do almost every week is talk about a loving father, not a judicial deity. All right, let me just tell you, if that resonates with you, if you say, man, I, that's me, that's what I want to do, then you and I need to connect. We need to stay connected through this worldwide platform. Yeah, we don't meet in a building. Yeah, we don't have budgets. We don't have children's programs or youth programs. We don't even serve coffee. But we come together in the cathedral to share, to talk, and to connect the dots, individual people, dots, all around the planet and begin to network saying, yeah, there's people here that believe in the fatherhood of God. There's people here that are awakening to the goodness of God. We're awakening spiritually and we're seeing other people awaken as well. Let's continue to pursue this. All right, I'm gonna, I got one more part I want to drop in this and two more whys of our existence. Now, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. The whys that I'm giving you is really the why of your life. Paul said that you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. You know what that ministry is? It's to let man know that he's already been reconciled to God. And the way we do that is to awaken them. The ministry that you have, I don't care if you're a coach, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, housewife, doesn't matter, a, a, a computer program, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. What you have is a ministry of reconciliation. You have a why in life. God put you in that business. He put you at that place so that you could awaken those that sleep. So that you can begin to demonstrate a father, not a judicial deity. See, 
Our culture has this idea of God, and they've got it from the church that he's big, he's bad, he's mean, he's terrible. That's not, that's not the father Jesus came to show us. You can change your culture. You can change the world you live in just by demonstration. By the love that comes out of you will be the love of the father. They'll touch the love of God. They'll touch the fatherhood of God through your life. They will awaken spiritually just by the little comments you make that you don't have to try to be religious or make great spiritual insights. You just be who you are. And what comes out of you is going to be a flow of life because he has breathed into you divine life. So what comes out of you will be divine thoughts and divine words that will make a difference in the lives of people. Are we connected? Is the digital cathedral connecting us? I believe it is. So let's pray that God continue to expand our reach around the world. We're not thinking locally anymore. We're thinking globally, brother. A few years ago, we never would have believed we could have talked to one another and fellowshiped with one another from different states and nations, but it's happening today because God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. And all flesh is awakening to a Father who's good all the time. Amen? All right, see you Wednesday. We'll finish up part three next week. You have a wonderful week and be God conscious this week. Know that you serve an omnipresent father that never leaves you, never forsakes you. It is with you even if you don't feel it. And if you don't feel it, remember, stop and just acknowledge his presence. You'll be surprised how much it floods in. See you next time, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on my Facebook page. Have a great week. Thank you and God bless.